0: Well, here in Revelation chapter three, we started in last week looking at the, the Church of Sardis. Now, two things are said in these six verses that cause people to ask the big question. And the big question is, can we lose our salvation? Now, now take note there in the first three verses of Revelation three to the church of Sardis, he says at the end of verse three, therefore, if you will not watch, watching is um, being ready, having a ready heart, um, fighting the fight. Um, You know, with a guitar, you have to have the the strings really tightly pulled to be in tune. And and God has allowed it with us having a complete free will that we daily have to give ourselves over to purity to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to abide in Christ. We just can't come one time and say Okay, God, I believe in you and apple pie and Chevrolet's in America and, you know, okay, I believe all the right stuff. Whew, okay, I got that. I can check that off. Life insurance policy taken care of. Now I can go live however I want. There's people with that mentality and, and he comes back and says, no, there is a tension and that tension is to walk in an obedient, submitted life unto me and watch. <laughs> watch yourself. Watch that the world's not compromising you, that the devil's not deceiving you, that you're not being taken away. If you need a handout, raise your hand. Greg went and got some more. Appreciate that, Greg. Over to your left also, Greg. And Henry needs one right up here in front. Don't hand him out. Henry really wants one bad. He's an IRS agent. Give him one. (laughs) We don't want to get audited. Okay, one more. (laughs) This is funny. Thank you, Ramon. Ramon says, I've already lost my salvation. This isn't gonna help me anyway, so what do I care? Um, No. Um, And so he says, watch and I will come up, or if you don't watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I come upon you. So here in, in this letter that Jesus is speaking that the apostle John is penning, Our Lord says, if you will not watch, keep yourself in the love of God, walk in a manner worthy of Him, abide in Him, then I'm telling you that I'm going to come, and this is one of the analogies we have Jesus rapturing the church, is coming as a thief in the night, and you are going to get left behind, he basically says. Now, Paul writes, and he tries to keep it in the positive, um, in First Thessalonians 5, um, verse 4 and 5 here, he says, but if you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light, sons of day, were not of the night nor of darkness. So he's exhorting them, and of course, if you read First Thessalonians 4, 11 through all the way to chapter 5, verse 13, you, you see their negative and positive um, encouragements to the church to abide and be ready at the, at the rapture of the church. And so he, he basically says that you guys who are ready, the Lord's gonna come as a thief, but you're the one that's gonna get stolen away with the Lord. And, and John, he says, if you're not watching, you're not ready, the thief's gonna come and it's not gonna be a positive thing with you. So again, that sort of puts the indicator up going, wow, um, is it possible for somebody who is a Christian to end up getting to the place that they're not somebody who's going to get raptured up with the Lord? Um, again, we have so many analogies. I, I actually have this teaching. Here and it's actually like a third of the size that I teach it in the Bible college setting. And it usually takes me about three hours to get through because there's so many scriptures and analogies on this. Uh, remember King Hezekiah. He was a guy, the day he became king, he had nothing but battles. War, 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 war. But he was the mo- one of the most righteous kings ever, um, p- ever talked about. And then finally the wars end and he's like, finally, I get a breath and he gets a sickness and God says, Isaiah, go tell him to get his house in order. I'm taking him home, he's gonna die. And Hezekiah just says, "Ah, I've been a king all these years. I've never enjoyed being a king for a moment. The whole time I've been a war king, just protecting us, fighting, 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 never enjoying being a king. And, And now the moment I finally get a break, I'm gonna die of a sickness. This isn't fair. And, and he begins to complain. And I guess in his mind, 15 more years would be a more appropriate age to die. And God said, Isaiah, go back in and tell him. And Isaiah came back in and says, thus saith the Lord, you're going to have 15 more years. It's going to be a time of peace. And there it is. Well, Hezekiah gets up from a sick bag. He calls the king of Babylon to come down and he's been sending him get well cards. You know, it was just a manipulative thing. And he shows him all the treasury of Israel, all the secret places going from the palace up to the temple and all these things. And Isaiah comes in and says, what did you do? And he told him and he said, oh my goodness. They're gonna come down and destroy this country Your kids and all the people that you serve are gonna be taken away after they're not murdered and raped and and so forth. They're gonna become slaves in Babylon. And Hezekiah said, hold it. God said, I get 15 years of peace, right? He goes, yes. He goes, oh, but what do I care? (laughs) And all of a sudden, this guy that had this impeccable character in wartime, in peace, he had zero character. And so, thus, we see the wisdom of God taking him home when he's gonna take him home. But to me, the thing that really speaks to me is when there was a tension, (laughs) there was a godly character. The moment the tension wasn't there, nor was the character. I'll be honest, and I think if all of you are honest, when things are hard, we pray more. (laughs) We're walking closer to the Lord because we're afraid or things are on the verge of falling apart and we, we need him, we need his wisdom, we need his strength, we need his help. I, I, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I could just have peace and wonder and everything's great physically, financially, relationally. you know. Everything's wonderful and I have this radically intimate, passionate love. I wish that were the case. I can tell you it's not. And I'll tell you when times do get good, I've got to work harder at keeping myself in the love of God and pure and watching. (laughs) And so the Lord sort of built into the Christian life, if you would, at least in the Calvary Chapel theology, and I believe it's the correct theology, is what's called the imminent return of Christ. That the Lord could come back any moment. My son Nathan taught on it a few weeks ago. And I did a really great job on the the rapture of the church. And why? Because I think it's built in that we need that tension. Like the tension on the guitar string to be in tune. We need that constant tension of the Lord could come back and I need to be ready when the Lord comes back. And, And here he's saying to them the guitar's out of tune. You're not in tune with the Lord. You, you need to get back in tune or when that Lord does rapture, you're not gonna be taken with him. And, and this is not something you want to be. And here's a great quote by Winston Churchill. He said this, uh, right at the early days of World War II in Britain. He said, I must drop one word of caution for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. <laughs> neglect and slothfulness is exactly the church of Sardis was doing until they were so spiritually sloppy. The Lord saying there is a chance of getting left behind. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 5. It's, it's sort of amazing he'd be speaking this to Christians, but here's what he says. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. There's sort of the first stage of spiritual slothfulness. They're falling asleep. They're not spiritually where they need to be praying and, 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 and in the word and, and being diligent in fellowship. And it, there's sort of a spiritual sleepiness as they're wandering away from the Lord. He says, arise from the dead. Wake up. And, and and if you're not sleeping, then maybe you're dead. This is sort of the, the last stage. <laughs> but arise from the dead, that Christ will give you light. Verse 15, see then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so maybe tonight through this teaching in, in Sardis and being left as a thief or the name blotted out of the book of life, This is sort of the the poke in the side you need, saying you've been asleep spiritually and you haven't been fruitful. You keep wandering farther and farther, getting more and more carnal, more and more um, worldly. And to the point that your spiritual sleep has gone into a spiritual death and the Lord is saying to you tonight, I'm coming again soon and I don't want you to be left behind. Wake up. Let me give you life. Well, we saw the second part to the church in Sardis there in Revelation 3. He says in, in verse 5, he overcomes, shall will be uh, clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. And again, uh, it sometimes can be put in the negative, sometimes in the positive. But either way, it's, it's saying that um, there's a, there's a place if you start abiding there isn't the possibility of your name being blotted out but the question is is well it, it, can the name be blotted out we actually have this and I'm going to skip over some of the the stuff that I have here in my notes just uh, for time's sake tonight but in, in Revelation 3 verse 5 I think it's on page 3 of your notes there if they're the same as mine um it says point uh, 3 verse chapter 3 verse 5b um, it says again, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. In Exodus 32, and we looked at these, some of these verses last week, Moses talking uh, about this book of life. He says, uh, this is when the children of Israel had made a golden calf and they weren't repenting. And uh, Moses is, is interceding, being Christ, if you would, on behalf of the people, a, a picture, an illustration of Christ. And he says, yet now, if you will not forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out, I will blot out, uh, out of my book. So the Lord says, you're not gonna tell me who to blot out or you're not gonna blot out. But yes, there are people that um, I will deem, that I will blot out. And uh, it's not by your approval or, or you telling me who or what. I'm not gonna take commands from you, Moses. But yes, there, there is a possibility of that. And Moses is saying, I, I love these people so much that if you're gonna blot any of them out, then blot me out too. I, if they can't go to heaven, I don't wanna go to heaven, uh, in essence. And remember, Paul says something similar to that, such a love for the Jewish people in, in Romans 9. He said, Lord, if, if it's possible, you know, send me to hell and let them go to heaven in my place. And... Uh, and that was just the, the heart that, that Paul and, and we see again with Moses and very much the heart of Christ. David uh, in Psalm 69, 28 says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So again, this is David by the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts, uh, Peter quoting the Psalm says, David by the Holy Spirit writes. So all the scripture is inspired, breathed by God. And the Spirit of God is saying that there will be people blotted out and not written into the book of the righteous. In Revelation 3, 5, again, we, we quoted here tonight. And then in Revelation twenty two nineteen. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. In, in ancient times there was a, a book of registration of citizenship and when a man died his name would be taken out of that citizenship book. But Barclay writes this beautifully. The risen Christ is saying that if we wish to remain on the role of citizens of God we must keep our faith flaming alive. In the book of life so in Revelation 20, verse 12, it says this, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were open. So there's a lot of books. Uh, probably books of reward, uh, books of judgment, what degree of judgment. Um, the, there's several different books. Uh, we only know about a couple of them here uh, that God lets us know about. But the books were open, and then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And then in Revelation 20, verse 15, it says this And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So there was one book, it says in Psalm 69, blot their name out of, and don't write their name into the book of the righteous. And in essence, he's saying here: if your name's not written in this book, but is written in this book, um, again, there is eternal damnation. In Luke ten twenty, when the disciples had cast demons out and they were rejoicing, they had power over these demons. Jesus said in, in Luke ten twenty: nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And so the Lord says to these apostles, this is something that should be conscious in your mind. And this old world gets us down, you know? You go to turn the car on, and and metal starts breaking off, and flames start flying, and you're just going, oh, many tribulations in this world. Lord, come quickly, you know? You guys, I say that about every day. You guys say that? Just come quickly, Lord, please. I'm just tired. Um, But then you just sit back and go, but... My name is written in the book of life. Rejoice in that. There's a lot of things on this earth that can get you down. There's a lot of things that um, we can celebrate, but above them all, that we as believers can rejoice that God has called us to himself. We, we realized we were sinners. We repented of our sins and we looked to Jesus as our savior. And uh, our name is written in the book of life. So, the question here again, as we look at these six verses in revelation, is the thief comes and you 're not ready, or things get so sloppy that God just says i'm taking your name out of the the blotting your name out of the book of life Is this saying that as believers we whatever the question is, one of the questions is, can you lose your salvation you know there there's different questions and they 're really not. Correctly being asked, and that's what we're going to get to here tonight. But one of the questions is saying, "Can you lose your salvation?" And I just like to say, the Bible is clear on this. The answer is no; you can't lose your salvation. In John six thirty nine, it says this: "This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all He has given me, I should what lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day." In John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Uh, neither shall anyone snatch them out of, my father, out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and my Father are one. So Jesus says there is no accidental way <laughs> somebody's getting snatched away from Jesus, or there's no... Uh, depths of weakness on your part that, you, you know, you're losing your salvation or you wake up in the morning going, ah, I feel like I'm not saved anymore. I think I might have lost my salvation last night between uh, 11 and three o'clock in the morning. I, I don't know. I was sleeping. I had a bad nightmare and I, I think I lost my salvation. You know, that's, that's never gonna happen. The, the Lord has us firmly in his grip and uh, he is hanging on to us But the the next question then would be asked. We have free will. So we know we're not going to lose our salvation. In other words, on God's side of things, He's not changing His mind about you. He wants you. He wrote your name in the book of life, He wants you in heaven. He's going to do everything to fight for you to be there in heaven. But we still, like Adam and Eve in the garden, have a complete free will. And so some would say, well, your free will keeps you from ever making a choice that would cause you to uh, walk away from God. And the other person said, no, you have the free choice that even though God's spirit lives in you, even though you're born again, you still have the ability to walk away from God. And so the, the question is, can a person throw away their salvation? And I would have to say yes to this. And there's, again, multiple scriptures. Uh, I just picked a few to put out in the, in the notes here tonight. But for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, again, writing to the believers Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now he's talking to Christians. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, what? Will inherit the kingdom of God. Now such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So he's saying to these believers, it, it is clear that if People are living, and he starts giving a, a list of, of various sins, and I'm sure the list is, is greater than these here. But he, he's saying that if that becomes the lifestyle of a person, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of, of heaven. And with the vernacular we're looking at in Revelation, the rapture comes, and those who are living in fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, sodomite, thieves, covetousness, and drunkards, etc., They're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. In Galatians chapter five, verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident or obvious, which are adultery, fornication, and cleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revileries, and the like. The list goes on of which I told you beforehand. We had a discussion on this when I was physically with you in Galatia. Just I also told you in time past, we had more than one conversation on this, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you got a person who receives the Lord, who begins to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, who is watching, if you would, who's keeping himself in the love of God, following Christ, being holy as he's, and then they start compromising, and that compromise begins to grow until they begin to practice, and he gives a list that's not a a completed list here, and, and he's saying that okay, but I just need to talk to you, Paul. I've been, you know, I'm living with my girlfriend now and, and uh, we're not married and, but I just want to know if the Lord were to come back but I, I told you before, I, I told you last time I was there again and I'm telling you now in the letter that no. <laughs> you're, you're living in fornication and all of a sudden you were to get hit by a giant camel coming down the street or, you know, a donkey or whatever. They don't have cars in those days. Um, and you had to stand before God I'm telling you, you're practicing the works of the flesh. You won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Or again, if the Lord were to rapture the church. Back in Revelation chapter two, looking at the church in Thyatira, we had a similar thing there. Uh, In verse 21 and 22, it said, I gave her to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. And indeed, I will cast her into the sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into what? The Great Tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. So he's saying to the these believers that are in retire who are now clearly living in sexually in sexual immorality. I've, you know, we saw in First Corinthians eleven. It says those who take communion in an unworthy way get weak and sick and even die. And it's and we see here the Lord spanking these Christians where. Um, they're committing adultery and he begins to spank them and it's with sickness Um, and they're sick and trying to bring them to the point of brokenness to repent it says in 1 Corinthians 5 the man who married his father's wife it says that God would destroy his flesh that his soul might be saved and these guys in Thyatira God's sort of destroying their flesh that they're in their weakness of sickness, they might repent and, and get right with the Lord. And, and he's saying even in sickness, they're not repenting. And so if the rapture were to happen right now, these guys would be thrown by God into the great tribulation unless they repent. It's not my desire, but this is what's a possibility. So a person who is a believer has a complete free will how is it that they would walk away from God? i don 't know about you, but I can't move an inch without god 's power, with god 's strength, without god 's grace and mercy and love and And when I do compromise or sin, i just I just feel it so deeply um, that I do grieve, and I, I do repent and I just and, and so to, to the idea of doing it again and again and week after week and and to stay in that place where eventually your heart gets hard, your heart gets hard. How does that happen? In Hebrews 3, notice here in verse 12, he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in what? Departing from the living God. Notice it starts out in verse 12. Beware who? Brethren. So, Some of you Christians aren't aware of this. Some of you Christians are thinking, this can never happen to Christians. Christians can never depart from God. And he's saying to them, listen, Christians can depart from God. And I want you in particular to be aware of it because I think this could apply to you. And I'm afraid for you in essence. And notice what he says. If you know somebody in that situation, in verse 13, exhort one another daily why it's called a day. So this is something that the clock is ticking and can happen very, very quickly. In other words, you say, oh, it takes a day, a week, a month, a year. It takes five years of it. No. The hardness of a man's heart can happen quickly. And maybe you've seen that. Where bitterness comes in and it seems like in a second, they went from being frustrated or angry to a bitterness that's just unrelenting. And it's just like, and they stay like that for the next 30 years. You know, they're okay, and they get bitter at their friend or their brother or their spouse or their kids or whatever it is. They just, their, their brain went click, 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 and their heart went click, click, and they just said, I'm never talking to that guy again, And sure enough, thirty years later they've never talked to that guy again. And you're just like going, Two days ago you guys are down at the beach, boogie boarding, laughing and and, and you know, whatever what happened to the, it wasn't oh well it's, you know, he, he decided to take ten years of of things that bothered him, frustrated him, whatever, and just it's really Satan got in there and put him in this package and just in a second. And if you look back on it, it was really his heart had been departing from the living God. His heart had been being deceived and hardened. Maybe it was over months or years. But yet, with this last little bit of thing, it was the final straw that just broke the whole machinery. And all of a sudden, you didn't realize you had seconds (laughs) to keep the devil from ripping him off the rest of his life. But that's really what you had. And so this is, Paul's saying, you don't know what's going on here. You don't know if you have days or weeks. If you, God's brought it to your light today, make sure you talk to him today. Don't say, I'll see him tomorrow at work or I'll catch him next week at church. This is, this is important stuff. It's time sensitive. He goes on in Hebrews 3 to say, lest any of you be hardened. Notice who? Lest any of What? those guys over there that are really a bunch of carnal people that we all know about that will never be like that. That's sort of, that doesn't even apply to us. We're just sort of hypothetically talking about those extra weak Christians that will never be. That's not what he says, is it? He says, you can be one of those people. Lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. What do we learn about sin here? Sin deceives and sin hardens and and those are the things that again sort of get out of our control we we don't realize it you know when when a person gets addicted to drugs you know uh, the first time they take that heroin or whatever crystal or whatever they they think that yes people get addicted but I can do it one time and I'm not going to get addicted over one time right And in their minds, they're not gonna be, this thing won't get out of control for them. I know it does get out of control for some people. But for me, I can take these drugs and it won't get out of my control. And in the same way, I think Christians can think, I can commit this sin and it won't get to the place to deceive me. I can do this sin and it won't get to the place to harden me. Well, you know Christians that are deceived by sin? (laughs) They don't think they're deceived. That's part of the deception. You're saying your heart's hard. No, it's not. You're totally not walking with Christ right now. Of course I am. <laughs> As it says in the Old Testament, that, that when the drunkard is deceived, it's like he believes he'll be counted with the sober. Even though he's drunk. And that's the thing about many alcoholics. It's it's just convincing them they're an alcoholic. And that sometimes takes months or years. They just I could stop today if I want to well, why don't you? I don't want to. Well, I'll show you I can stop. And then in their minds they stopped and they didn't stop. <laughs> and it's it's a they're they're deceived, but yet they don't realize they're deceived. That's the scary part of it. Or a person who's hardened doesn't feel like they're hardened. But yet they're not walking in righteousness, and holiness, in obedience with the Lord and Paul is saying here in verse 14 of Hebrews 3 for we have become partakers of Christ notice the word if there if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end and that's where I like Barclay's quote a minute ago um, where he says the risen Christ is saying if we wish to remain on the role of the citizens of God we must keep our faith flaming alive and again it's those who are keeping their, their faith and their walk with God alive until either he raptures us or we breathe, breathe our last. In Hebrews chapter 6, interesting verses here in verse 4 through 6, he says, for if it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to be renewed them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the son of God and put him to open shame. Now, what I often get is people coming up going, I think that's me. Um, People that this applies to, they don't care, okay? They don't care. Yeah, I'm going to hell and I'm glad, you know? Or I'm right with God, you'll never convince me otherwise. I'm living with, I'm, you know, I'm, whatever Uh, I'm a drug addict and I know I'm still going to heaven God doesn't care if I do drugs or whatever Um, they're they're truly deceived but I'm simply saying I, I don't know who this is but there is a point of no return in this Hebrews 6 passage what we learn is that a person sin deceives them sin hardens their heart they depart from the living God and they will never return not every prodigal comes home and there is a person, whoever that person is, who has a walk with God, who has a life in the Spirit, who God has answered prayer, they have prophesied, had words of knowledge, words of wisdom, God's used them, they've led other people to cry, and then they themselves, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, that, that I... I fight the good fight. I beat my body into, into, into submission lest after I preach to others, I myself become disqualified. Paul said that was a possibility for himself. And here I'm saying there is a group of people that their hearts are hardened and they, there is no way they will ever be the prodigal and come home. There's no way they can ever again get right with God. They're living out their lives on earth completely damned. And you say, well, who is that? I don't know. But the point is, is that there is a group of people that say, yeah, I'm gonna backslide, but after I backslide for a couple of years, I'll come back to Christ. I, I had in high school, one of the kids that I grew up in the church with and the Lord and very consciously, it was either a sophomore or junior year, I, I can't remember. And, and he just point blank said to me, he was doing some things. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And, um, and he said, I'm not being a Christian anymore. And I said, what are you talking about? I mean, we were literally in diapers together in church. And he just said, you know what? My big brother and he had a couple of brothers did not walk with Christ and they never did. But they just said, you know, don't mess up your high school and your college years without you know, experiencing everything, you know, drugs and sex and partying and, you know, you make sure you you get the world in, but then after you've done that, somewhere in your mid, late 20s and you're ready to get married and settle down, then come back to Christ and start living for Christ. But, you know, this was their human wisdom for him and he thought it was a good plan. And I told him, man, you... There's no guarantee that your heart will ever be repentant. Of. And again, coming to Christ isn't, you know, it would be like this. You, you, you tell a girl you've been dating for a few years and she's thinking you're getting ready to get engaged. And, and or vice versa, the girl's been dating the guy. And, and she says, you know, I, I, just in case you're starting to ask me to marry you, don't do that. We're going to be friends and we keep dating and stuff but I'm gonna go out and experience the world and maybe eight or nine years I'll come and let you know when I'm ready to get married and then we'll get married and so he's sitting around twiddling his thumbs and she's out having all kinds of other guys and having sex and living with people and living in the world and, and then finally she so shows up 10 years later going okay now I'll give you the privilege of marrying me and we'll have a family and kids and, and he's been sitting around waiting do you realize how demeaning that would be, but how rude that would be, and how he probably would just out of spite say, I'm not you know, the fact that you thought I'd sit around for you for ten years until you were done doing your thing and you can come to propose to me and, and I'm to drop everything and this is what you're saying to the Lord. Lord, I don't care what your plan for my life is, I don't care what your will for life is. I don't care about holiness or righteousness or what pleases you or, or your God and <laughs> I'm the created being and I'm submitted to your will. You know, I'll let you know when, you know, we can get married and and I'll start being a, you know. It, it, it's, it goes against every doctrine in the scripture. In, in John 6, Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father first draws them. And so, again, th- this is a point where if you're there and you're saying, yeah, you know, I'm looking at Hebrews 3 and, sin sort of has deceived me and hardened my heart and I really have departed from God. I'm not really living for the Lord right now. But I, I realize I really do need to really submit my life to Christ, but yeah, I'm gonna do it after I graduate from college. <laughs> I'm gonna do it after, you know, in a couple of years when I'm done having fun over at the casino or committing adultery with the girl at work or whatever. Then, then I'll get back on the right track. Hebrews 6 is coming in saying, guys, understand. If you understand that Christ died for you and was brutalized and tortured and died and rose again for your sin and you did repent, you did come to him, you have the knowledge of what it is to be a Christian and now you're consciously walking away from Christ, there is a place where a person's heart is that they'll never, God will never receive them back. He says right there, why? Because they crucify again for themselves, the Son of God. They put him to an open shame. And in Hebrews 10, notice how it says it here, a very similar thing in Hebrews 10, verse 26. It says, if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, Here he says it again. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. And I don't have it here in the notes, but he says it, it, you trample underfoot the cross of Christ and you insult the spirit of grace. You insult the spirit of grace and you trample underfoot the cross of Christ. And so, um, just a, a point of reference in Hebrews 6, some say, oh, they tasted the heavenly gift or they tasted of the good things to come. So they didn't really get saved. They sort of tasted Christianity, but they never were really born again. I understand in our English, tasted doesn't sound like you really ate it. You know, I sort of took a little bite of the, the pie. I didn't really eat a piece of the pie. But understand that word tasted in the in the Greek does not mean that. Matter of fact, that same exact Greek word in Hebrews 2, 9 refers to Christ dying and it says that Christ tasted death for every man and Christ didn't taste death without really dying because if he didn't die we're still in our sins so the word taste doesn't mean that it does mean fully um, was a part of that so here I I have a box and I have a a paragraph and I, I want you to think about this I'm gonna skip Hebrews 12 passage there about Esau. I'll let you read that on your own. But he says here, I, I, this is a thing I wrote to sort of capsulize the thought of what I'm saying here. It says, I know there are those who want to hold a theological position that they are saved even though they're not living a life of obedience. Such comfort is not based on Truth but is a false comfort that many now convinced, are convinced of. But the Lord tells us here in Revelation 3, as well as in Matthew, that it is only a self-deception. So I think of Saul. You know, Saul was a king and, and, and we realize that God said... To Saul, I am gonna make you the king of Israel and all of your lineage forever. And Saul was living on that premise. I have been called of God to be a king. We as Christians are called as God to be kings and priests under our God as well, right? And he had given Saul an eternal position. I, the Lord, am establishing this position. You are king in all your lanes forever. But then Saul, his heart began to get deceived and hardened. And I'm guessing at this because we see what he did. In and, and First Samuel 13, Samuel was supposed to show up and do the sacrifice and then they were to go to battle. And Saul, as we in a couple chapters earlier, had hundreds of thousands of people in his army and it had dwindled down to hundreds. <laughs> and the army of the enemy had grown from hundreds of thousands to more. And the fear began to grip Saul until he's like, I better get the sacrifice done and get the battle before I don't have anybody fighting with me. But yet, it's clear that only the tribe of the priesthood could give a sacrifice. We have one king, Uzziah, who was a righteous king who went to try to burn incense and he never even made it and leprosy hit him and he was a leper till the day he died. He was of the tribe of Judah, not of the tribe of Levi. So what Saul did was was a serious sin before God. And Samuel tells him here in 1 Samuel 13, 13, he said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. And he goes on. So what I'm trying to say is the Lord in his position says far as from me, I'm looking at you and I am calling you, I am electing you, I am giving you a forever plan. But yet you're a person of free choice. And in your heart, you begin to live this sinful life until sin deceives you and hardens your heart and you begin living this offensive, disobedient life against me, then that plan's gonna end. And so the forever plan was no longer in place. well we see in chapter 15 we begin to see Saul's heart revealed when he was to go down and destroy the Amalekites and he didn't do it he brought the animals back and even the King Agag back and, and, and he's trying to he's just lying to Samuel about it oh I've obeyed God and in his mind he really did and, and there in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three, Samuel says to Saul rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft Stubbornness is the sin of iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, God's rejected you from being king. Now you say, Well, this is a little extreme. You know, to say somebody is rebellious and it's the same as witchcraft. This is God speaking, who looks on the heart. You know, the Lord the Lord says God doesn't just judge the outward man, he, he, he judges the heart, and, and he can look at somebody who says, you idiot, I hate you, ah! And God says, I'm writing down in that book, my books as if you actually did murder the guy. So you're gonna get to heaven going, ah, you committed 3,000 murders, and you're going, huh, I didn't kill anybody. Oh, let's talk about um, here on the freeway that day, you know, that guy cut you off. You, you murdered him. And what's the Lord saying? He's saying, I'm looking at the heart, I'm stripping away the flesh and I'm looking at the heart of anger and murder. And then I could look at the heart of somebody who was actually stabbing somebody to death or shooting them. And guess what God would see? An identical murderous heart. Now one physically on earth went through it and he'll pay the consequences of going to prison for it. The other didn't do it. It's a good idea not to carry your gun with you. <laughs> especially on the freeway and traffic time. He didn't go through with it. So yeah, there's not earthly consequences, but yet towards God and his judgment, there is. So God's looking at a person with a rebellious heart and looking at somebody who says, I know there's a God and I'm voting for his enemy. Who is he? Satan? That's, that's who's my God then. I'm voting for whoever is against God. That's who I'm siding with. I'm, I'm a Satan worshiper. And God is saying, here, look at the hearts. Look at the hearts of a rebellious person. Look at the hearts of somebody who is an active Satan priest, identical. And you say, well, I mean, God can say whatever he wants. Well, guess what? At the end of Saul's life, we do get to see his heart revealed. In 1 Samuel 28, guess what happened? Saul went to a witch (laughs) to get advice on what would happen on the next day. He really was a Satan worshiper in heart. It took decades and decades to be revealed, but God knew it way back when. So what am I saying here? I mean, when we look at the life of Saul, when he was called of God to be anointed, God's spirit poured on him, he began to prophesy, and the Bible says Saul became a new man. And they created a proverb that says, wow, Saul, Even Saul, because he was a crazy, wild, fleshly guy, is one of the prophets. The people saw that God made him a new man. So God did call him and God's spirit fell on him and he prophesied and God gave him a a new heart and he became a new man. But yet then we see in Saul, this man who was not submitted, who was not obedient. And eventually his heart became that of somebody who was completely disobedient to God. He departed from the living God. And as he rejected God, God rejected him. And so the, the next question might be this um, could, it, could it be that, that somebody who gets hardened and deceived, who is with us looking like a Christian, was never, ever a Christian? That, that's easy. Well, that is a percentage of people. In first John two nineteen, John writes of these particular people that left the church, left the fellowship of the brethren. He says in first John two nineteen, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So that is true of a percentage of people they looked and talked, and we all thought they were Christians, but as it revealed, they never, ever, ever did submit their lives to Christ. You know, there are people that I've, I've been with us and when their kids get old and graduate from high school, they quit coming to church and they plain out said, you know, I just wanted my kids to have good people to grow up with. The whole Christian thing, I never really bought into it. I just went along with the country club because I wanted to be a member of the country club. I wanted to be accepted. So I was willing to commit and, volunteer and give and talk and do whatever I needed to do to be a part of the, the groups that I could be a part of so my kids could have good influences, good moral influences growing up as kids. But now that the kids are grown, I don't need the church anymore. C'est la vie. I'm gonna go spend my life, whatever, doing something else. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> I, I do know there's a percentage of people that, that are that way. It's, it's a selfie, self-consuming thing and they went out from us because they were never of us. But on the other hand, we look at Demas, and you can look at what Paul had talked about him as a fellow worker and a fellow laborer, and in 2 Timothy 4.10, it says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed. So with Demas, clearly he was a believer. He was one, a man who was called uh, into ministry, but yet, as Paul was being arrested, and imprisoned, and stoned, and shipwrecked, there was a point where Demas just said, I'm tired of denying myself, taking up this cross, and following the Lord. I'm tired of, of supporting Paul and his gospel of grace, which means at the end of the day we get beaten with rods, and arrested, and <laughs> we're all poor, and we're not eating very well, and our, can't replace our clothes that are all dirty and torn up. And And, you know, the other day somebody bumped into me, and Dad said, hey still want you to take over the family business and, you know, got a nice house for you and a brand new camel in the driveway for you and, um, you know, so-and-so still hasn't married and, you know, come on back and, you know, live the, the dream. And he's like, okay, go to prison with Paul, get beaten with Rods, go home to your oh, I'm done, I'm done, I'm going back, I'm, I'm done here. And and he just walked away from the calling of God and and. The love of the world, the Bible tells us, the deceitfulness of riches, there's, these are the reasons that people will depart from the living God. Which is it? We're not the, we don't have to sit around and figure it out. We don't have to be God. In Romans 10, verse six, it says this, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That's to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That's to bring Christ down or up from the dead. But what does it say? that the word is near you in your mouth and your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I can't say that for my wife or my kids or my best friend or any of you. All I can do is say in sincerity with myself, have I submitted to Christ. And, you know, we can deceive. I I could be living in some sinful, compromising, unholy life, but yet I try to hide it and keep it in such a way that I appear in a certain way to you and you're, you know, everybody's deceived. People do it all the time. And that's where we gotta come back and that's what he's saying. You can know, (laughs) are you really submitted to Christ? are you really walking in obedience? And if that's the case, then you can right now know, I know it's for me. I am submitted to Christ. Now, I know my sinful flesh. I know my heart can be deceived. I know my flesh can get addicted. I, I, I know these things. And so, every day I, I realize, I don't want to depart from the living God. I know it's a possibility. God's given me a complete free will, and every day I have to resubmit that to Christ. And all day long I have to say, no, I I wanna go to heaven. (laughs) I wanna please the Lord, I love him, I really do love him. I'm really thankful for him, and I, I, I realize I could go do this or I could do that, but I want to walk on the narrow road because that's where I find peace and joy and happiness. But besides that, even if I didn't find peace or joy and happiness, I really in my heart want to please the Lord. I want to bless him. I love my wife. I want to please her. <laughs> I love my Lord. I want to please him. And so if that's the case and you can right now know I have believed in the Lord and I am going to be raised from the dead. If the Lord were to come back right now I'm going to be with him. Some people like to ask the question uh, once saved always saved. And I simply say that 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 is a cliche little sentence that the Bible never answers. Isn't the Bible teach one saved, always saved? No, it's a a trick question. I I don't even wanna try to answer that question because it's trying to simplify into a question something that's much more theologically complicated. And so there's not an answer to that question. I understand it can be a perfectly proper English sentence, but it's not a question that that can be answered. And if somebody does try to answer it, they're, they're being foolish. Again, I believe this. As long as we are walking in a submitted life to Christ, we can have the joy of knowing that you're right with God and for all of eternity. So there's one person who's walking in sin and and doesn't want to change that. And and what do they do? Is they try to get God into this, into this theological chess game. Well, here's a verse over here. God says, "You'll never leave me or forsake me." Ha ha. There it is. I move my pawn to whatever you know. And here's another verse. You know, He who began that good work in me will complete it. All right, I'm moving my bishop over here. You know, I've gotten I got God cornered. So even though I'm not abiding in him, even though I'm not living a a submitted life to him, I prayed to ask him to receive uh, him as my Lord and Savior, ask him to forgive my sins. And so boom, 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 he had to forgive me whether he likes it or not. And now even though I'm not living in obedience to him, I've got these verses here that got him cornered. And so, ha ha, even though I'm not walking in an abiding, obedient life to him, um, I've got theologically him trapped and it's ridiculous. And so I say to those kind of people, you know what? It's a scary thing where you're at, is you're not walking in obedience to Christ. And I do not believe, even though you have knowledge of the Bible, so does the devil. Even though you you're leaning on all these petty verse or all these verses that you have that support you going to heaven, even though you're not walking in obedience. I do not think you got God trapped at all. (laughs) I think it's very simple. As it says in 1 John 3, if you're walking in righteousness, you're righteous as he is righteous. If you're walking in sin, you're in trouble. In some cases, you've never seen him or known him. And in other cases, your heart's hardened, you're deceived, and you've departed from the living God even though you don't know it. On the other hand, you have people that are struggling. And they're they're discouraged and they're going, "Man, I want to live righteously, but man, it's so hard because I'm you know, I'm living over here in the dorm at San Diego State and I say, "Man, I'm not going to go and I'm going to live for God." And I all of a sudden these guys come in and they're telling this joke that's horrible. And I start laughing and you know, and the guy says, "Hey, take a hit of it," you know, and they say, I'm, all of a sudden I'm back into this old sinful thing." What do I do, you know? And there's a lot of things to strengthen him, but I want him to be strengthened with grace. It's like, look, you're, you're not walking in sin. You're struggling with sin. You're, you're, you are walking in obedience, but yet your flesh has stumbled. We all stumble in every way. Uh, you know, the righteous man falls seven times. He get up seven times, says in Proverbs. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more, it says in Romans uh, chapter five. God's for us who can be against us, Romans 8. He'll never leave you nor forsake you in Matthew 28. Those are the verses coming back that really do apply to that person who's struggling with sin. And so you say, well, which is it? <laughs> it? Really, God can only judge the heart. But as Christians, we can discern. If the guy's got a prideful, flippant spirit, he has no intention of stopping to live in sin, then that's the guy that The fear of God is gonna be the beginning of wisdom and knowledge to help him depart from evil. But on the other hand, you got this guy that's depressed and struggling because he wants to live obedient, but he's not. Then that guy you wanna give grace to. In John 15, verse four, listen to Jesus teaching here. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Simple, isn't it? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not abide in me, anyone, he is what? Cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them up and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father has glorified that you bear much fruit, so will be my disciples. So Jesus just comes back and just says, are you abiding? Then you're gonna be bearing fruit. You're gonna be praying. You're gonna be getting answers to prayer. You're gonna glorify the Father with bearing much fruit. If you're not abiding, you're gonna wither. You're gonna die. You're gonna get burned. You're not gonna bear fruit. And I just simply come back to you right now Are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in the word? Do you find yourself praying? No, I'm not praying. Well, it's because you're not abiding. If you're abiding God's word in you, you'll pray. And and they're coming back. You're bearing fruit. You're gonna glorify the Father. Well, time has run out, and there's several more verses here for you to look at. I, I wanna skip over there. It says, what do we know for sure? And I love this part. You know, one is God is faithful. In 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is faithful. You say, well, it sounds sort of heavy to me, but what does he say to the church of Thyatira? Repent. (laughs) Those who are committed adultery, I put a sickness on you that you wouldn't go into the great tribulation. Repent so you don't. What's Christ saying right now? I'm for you, I'm not against you. I I've got you in my hand. Of them, I lose none. I, I'm holding on. As far as my position, I'm holding on. Nothing you say, nothing you do is causing me to let go. I will never let go. That's the Lord's position. If anyone goes to hell, it's not because God was like, All right. He God wishes none. To perish. In Ezekiel, it says he does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. Everyone, anyone who's willing to come, let them come. What do we know for sure? God wants you saved. God wants you in heaven. God wants you right with him. There's nothing you can do that would ever cause God to want to see you in hell. He wants you. He desires you. He passionately longs for you to come to him. That's, that's never gonna change. That's his nature. God is love. God is faithful. He wants you. The other thing is that we have a complete free choice and every perspective of that. And the third thing is, is we have to continue abiding until the end. Again, I'm not going to read it, but in Hebrews three, twelve through 14, again there. Brethren, beware, watch out, lest your hearts harden, deceive, depart from the living God. You've got to continue until the end. I think of that story in Acts 27. Again, it's interesting theologically because they're shipwrecked, the ship is going to sink, and, and, and everybody's worried and calling out to their various gods, and Paul's a prisoner. But he comes to the captain of the ship and says, God spoke to me that 100% of everybody on the ship is going to live. Nobody's going to die. Be encouraged. Everybody rejoice in the Word of God. But some of the guys huh, who's that crazy prisoner? I'm not gonna, They try to get on the lifeboat to save themselves, forget everybody else on the ship. They catch them. And then Paul says this if they get on the lifeboat and try to take off, they're gonna die. Well, hold it. God spoke to you that none of the people on the boat are gonna die. Now you're saying they're gonna die. Which is it? Here's a perfect analogy. If you abide (laughs) in the boat, God's word is true for you. If you get off the boat, quit abiding, and do your own thing, then that promise of God no longer is gonna be applicable to you. And so with this, the captain cut the boat away so nobody could get it, forcing everybody to stay on the boat. And sure enough, when the boat did crash, uh, all of them were saved and alive. Well, I wanna end with Second Peter chapter 1 here, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if we do these things, we'll never stumble For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly to the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, that's what God wants for all of us is that we're wanting an abundant entry. We're not trying to say, how worldly and sinful can I be and still make it to heaven? I hope that's not any of our heart. I hope all our heart is to say, I want to abide in him, bear fruit. And when I go to be with the Lord, there's this giant smile. And the Lord's shouting, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not, wow, you barely made it, you know? Your your little bottom is burned there. I can see some burn marks on that. You were barely snatched out of the fire. That's not what we want. We want an abundant entry, amen? And I, I wrote here, you might be saying tonight I don't really know where I'm at. I mean that's that's a part of sin being hardening your heart and deceiving you as people get numb and they can't really discern where they're at. David in Psalm says Lord search my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me. He was just so numb spiritually he couldn't tell. We don't have to know. All we have to do is come. You know that's what the Lord says. I know and hopefully we just have a tender enough heart. Maybe tonight you don't. You're just so numb. I've seen people that their marriage is just on the fridge of just dissolving, divorces looming. And you look at the guy going, Do "You want your marriage to work?" And or the lady, and they're just like, "I don't even know anymore. I'm just, I just don't care anymore. I just, I'm done. I, the marriage makes it, doesn't make it. It's whatever." They just get to that place where their heart is just hardened, numb. And it, it's a scary place to get, isn't it? And if you know somebody, maybe God brings somebody tonight, as it says there in Hebrews 3, today, why it's called today, go talk to them and, and just say, hey, here's a study I heard, and I'm scared for you. I think sin has deceived you. I think your heart's hard, and I'm afraid for you. And if that's you tonight, now's the time we can come. The Lord's saying, come. I'll heal you. I'll restore you. I'll bring you to myself and I'll give you a heart that's passionately on fire for me. And Lord, we just come before you tonight and we look at this and and I, I know that there are people trying to present a theological position that would basically tell people who are not walking an obedient life, don't worry about it. Theologically, you're covered anyway. Even though you're not abiding, even though you're not abiding, even though you're not living a righteous life before God, ah, theologically, God's made allowances for such things to happen and you're still fine. But as we look at the scripture and we look at the church of Thar- Sardis twice, you tell them as a thief in the night they're in trouble or the name being blotted out of the book of life they're in trouble, that it says there, there are a few who have not <laughs> defiled themselves, that the majority of Sardis had begin to walk in a sinful way. And Lord, as we come to the end times, you know there's gonna be apostasy, a great falling away, 1 Thessalonians 2 tells us. And so Lord, I know tonight I'm preaching to a group of people that are here that you have brought here by the power of your spirit and many of them are to be an evangelist, to go out to tell, to warn others. Piercing their heart for others, why it's still called today to to depart from their sinful life and to not depart from the Lord. And we just come tonight, Lord, and just ask that you'd help us. Lord, all we can do is, we don't even have the right words, we just come and say, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting life. If there's some here that are asleep but they're not dead, catch them now, Lord. Help us to come to you, Jesus, our light. Bring life to us again. Let us walk in wisdom, realizing the times we're in. We're getting ready to leave these seven churches and we know that week by week you've been just chipping away. (laughs) A lot of negative truth, a lot of warnings, a lot of the two-edged sword piercing our hearts. But Lord, as we get ready to leave this section, Lord, we ask that we would not leave without things being healed, strengthened, restored, put in right place I know in my heart you've done wonderful things wrestling through these things trimming away things that just need to go and I just ask in Jesus name that every one of us Lord here tonight would just say whatever part of this applies to me Lord please Lord help me I submit to you in Jesus name and everyone said amen amen there's You know, a lot to be done and I I don't wanna simplify it. I think some of you guys are gonna need to go home tonight and God's gonna just speak to you. God's gonna wake you up in the night and say, hey, you need to get on the phone and call your relative on the other side of the planet and and speak to them, thus saith the Lord. And uh, let God do the full work, amen? Before you head out, at least give three giant bear hugs and tell them the Lord loves you and and, uh, I don't know, whatever else, bye-bye.